Okay, today I, I am uh, delighted to be talking to golf course architect and a friend of mine, Bill Bergen. And I want to spell Ber Bill's last name B E R G I N in case you, I, I, I'm not pronouncing it uh, so you can spell it right. So, Bill Bergen, welcome to the Golf Week Magazine Best Podcast. Um, does it seem like 30 years, almost 30 years since you started your business? Well, how about that, Jim? So, uh, and War Eagle, by the way. War Eagle, I did. I wore the War Eagle hat just for you. You have yeah. the Auburn connection, which is, which is fantastic. And I uh, have to admit that I have enjoyed the few times that you had me come and speak to your class. What a treat that was to be back on campus and to talk about golf course architecture with young people. So I really, really enjoyed that. And yes, so, you know, I started in the business with Bob Cup in 1990. How about that? So 33 years now. Yeah. Well, let me tell our audience a bit about your company and about your career in golf. Um, I mean, because you had, before you became an architect, you had a very strong playing career in competitive golf uh, and also in golf instruction. So I want to say a little bit about both of those. Um, prior to Bill's work as a designer, uh, Bill spent six years playing golf professionally as well as three years as a teaching professional at Cherokee Town and Country Club in Atlanta. Uh, during his competitive days, uh, the former Georgia amateur champion uh, played in more than 250 professional tournaments worldwide. And those events included three United States Opens, two British Opens, and more than 50 PGA Tour events. Uh, that high level experience in professional competition meant that Bill got to know a number of the world's greatest golf courses very intimately, including the old course at St. Andrews, Royal St. George's, Pebble Beach, Olympic Club, Baltus Rawl, uh, meaning uh, not just with those courses, but the others that he played, that he developed a very astute awareness uh, of the strategic qualities of a golf course and how golfers uh, are affected physically and psychologically by uh, their playing of a wide range of different layouts. Uh, highlighting Bill's career as a professional was a tournament, a tournament low round of 66 in the third round of the 19, 1984 British Open at St. Andrews. And uh, that's a performance that led him to a fourth place finish in the Open, which is quite, quite something. Thereafter, um, and I'm summarizing a bit, Bill can flesh this out a bit more, slowly but surely Bill came to think more seriously about the business uh, as well as the engineering and the artistry of golf course architecture, uh, acquiring technical design experience as he just told us under the guidance of noted golf course designer Bob Cup, which was which he told us now, this started in 1990, but led him by 1994 to found his own company, Bergen Golf Designs. From then on, he combined his strategic instincts as a player with his design experience, along with his dedication as a businessman uh, to the details of project management to start creating golf courses. Um, so that's that. there's so much more to say about him, but I want to get to his words and his voice. Uh, uh, Bill, I want us to talk about your design philosophy, your concern for all level of golfers, everything from the top pros to the recreational player that's usually just out there on the weekends. Um, but let me start by asking you um, one thing about your resume that we should probably make known before we begin the conversation is how many golf course projects have you done? Uh, how many of them have been original designs and how many have been re renovations? 
and uh, you know, I, you don't have to list them all at this point, but just give the the audience a little idea of how your career first took shape. Absolutely. So great question. So, you know, we're getting very close to the magic 100 mark, which I'm very proud of. You know, do you think about having that impact on 100 golf courses? And, um, you know, it's significant. And so it means something to us. You know, we take great pride and pleasure and, and are honored with each course we get to work on, whether it's a renovation or an original design. And, you know, it's funny that you ask the number of original designs because I really don't know the number. And and as a golf week grader, you might have to clarify a couple things for me. Yeah, so, sure, sure. So, That's... so here's here's my question. So at Indian Pines, which you are well familiar with, we are putting a brand new golf course on top of an old golf course. We're not leaving anything. So is that an original design? It's rerouted, completely rerouted, other than the clubhouse. Um, it is a brand new golf course. Um, and so what does that what is that is that called? Is that a renovation? Or is it an original design? Personally, yep. I think it's the original design because I'm starting from scratch and I rerouted the whole golf course. Well, I do too. I, I believe that as well, Bill. And and you've you've kind of uh, um, previewed the the climax of my line of questioning, which was going to take us to that because that's an issue that you know I'm on the architecture advisory committee for the Golf Week Top 100, you know, Top 100 course ratings uh, system that Golf Week has been doing now. I think about but the same. I think we started about the mid 1990s, about the time you started your architects, and I've been a, a golf course rater since 1997. Um, so this issue that we're bringing up now, first of all, let's let, let, let's Indian Pines. We know very well what Indian Pines is, but a lot of people around the country that might listen to the podcast, we're talking about a municipal golf course that's what maybe sixty years old or close to it uh, in Auburn, Opelika, Alabama. That it's interesting municipal setup in the sense that it's both cities. It's 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 the properties in both Auburn and Opelika, which are sister cities, and then there's also this airport, the Auburn Opelika Airport, which is which is right on, uh, right next to the golf course property, which is really, well, you tell the story. Tell us about Indian Pines and what you're, what's come together to make this project, because it's, I think it's really, it's really an, an interesting project, even on a, not just on a state level, but on a national level, what you're doing there. So it is, it is very interesting. And it's funny because out there in the golf architecture world, I think that it's very difficult for the consumer, the people who are interested in the in the profession to understand that each project has parameters. There's always a reason. There are always limitations. There are always external factors that influence what an architect decides to do. Well, Indian Pines, uh, fortunately for me, uh, 10 acres were condemned by the airport. The airport is not really expanding their runway to the golf course, but they are expanding flight pattern and safety. And they literally are taking up 10 acres that comprised portions of four golf holes. And you think about any golf course, if you take a part of four golf holes and eliminate that, you've ruined the routing of the golf course. And we looked at master planning the entire golf course and we tried to, you know, to keep the front nine intact and what could we do with the remaining back nine? And there just wasn't enough land to do it justice to have, you know, two good nine holes and practice facilities and all of that. So the, the authority, which you're right, it, it is comprised of the city of Auburn and the city of Opelika and Indian Pines golf authority. 
they charged me with, okay, what can you do? You know, what can you do with this property? And fortunately, we there were areas that weren't really, um, you know, properly utilized or, or utilized to their fullest potential. And we were able to reroute the golf course and come up with an, an incredible 18 holes, 7,000 yards, which I don't think is a magic number, but it's still interesting. Um, and, you know, 4,000 from the forward tees, which is more interesting and more applicable to more players. Um, and we were able to really have an excellent routing and create tremendous practice facilities. So the range was very limited at Indian Pines. And now we have, you know, it, oh, it's got to be four or 500 feet wide as far as tee space. Uh, we can, you know, put 50 golfers out at the same time. No problem. We have this massive range and incredibly good short game facility. And all of that, we were able to fit in the 150 acres or so that we had to work with. So that did force a rerouting. And I know you know the course well, but we've got golf holes, you know, that were formerly in woods. We have holes going backwards. We have a couple going in exactly the same way. Um, but it's, you know, it's a brand new golf course, brand new irrigation, new cart paths, new greens, bunkers, tees, all of that. So it's, it's interesting that you know, a problem led to an incredible solution. And that's usually what happens. There's usually a problem and that's why uh, we're hired to do things. And um, Indian Pines problem was uh, the airport was taking up part of their property and now they're going to end up with an, a completely new facility that I think is going to be very, very well received and rewarding for players of all abilities. You mentioned earlier my background. I did finish 14th in that British Open, although I got the fifth, fifth place with nine holes to play. Oh. So I was, you know, I was never near the lead. Seve was way out in front, as was Bernard Langer and, and Tom Watson. But I did, I did sort of um, charge from the rear, you know, a, a backdoor finish, as, as if you will, and um, and really had a great weekend there. But it's funny as a player, I learned a lot about golf but as a teacher i learned way more about how golf course design impacts the everyday player which are the people who pay the bills which are the you know the, the they're the they're the core of our business and and while you know it's important to understand tournament golf and i will have to admit that the the kids today play a game with which i'm not that familiar the launch angles that they they hit the ball and the distances they hit the ball are a bit inconceivable um, but I still understand the game very well at that at that high level. Well, I could spend the entire time with you just talking about what's what's going on with Indian Pines, and I I do want to ask you some more about that. But let's back up a little bit. You know, when you when you first got in the business for yourself, within terms of your own company, uh, what was your first what was your first project? So funny thing enough, my first real original design was the Auburn University Club. So here we are back in Auburn. And, um, Closing the circle. And it, it, it really was. I, I did work on one other course prior to that where the land plan had already been routed. So I didn't route the golf course. And that's why I really call Auburn my first original design because I laid out everything. Roads, um, the direction everything was going, the clubhouse location, all of that was from scratch. And so... Um, and it was a property that I knew back when I was a player at Auburn University. In fact, Dr. Y Dr. Yarbrough had taken um, taken us out to see it way back. And that was, you know, in, in the um, early 80s, late 70s. And so to come back, you know, almost 20 years later and to design the Auburn University Club on that property was really 
is sort of coming full circle and, and very rewarding. Um, and now I go back and actually work there again this year on redoing greens, 20 years old. Um, and we, we, you know, resurface greens and, and, it, um, recovered lost space and all kinds of things. And I, it's funny, you know, in this business, you're constantly learning, you're constantly evolving. And, and I do wish uh, that I could have had that golf course from scratch today because um, I'm a much better architect than I was uh, back in, in 1998. But it was uh, kudos to those guys for giving me the chance to, to get started. So that was very exciting. Are you are you adhering to essentially the same design philosophy today that you you talk about your maturation as an architect and, and that's certainly understandable, mm -hmm. but in terms of your basic principles and, and and philosophy of what makes a great golf course, of course, the properties are all so different. You know, I mean, you, you it, it, a lot of it you have to take into the context of what you've got in terms of what you can do with it, but. Tell us a little bit. I mean, what, when, when you do get asked, and I'm sure you've been asked many times, what your general design philosophy is for golf, what what kind of golf courses do you most want to create? You know, so it's interesting. So we're, you're back to talking about new golf courses. So right now um, we're actually doing a course from scratch at, up at Macklemore. So we're adding a second 18 up there. Explain where that's where that's at so for this, people that Macklemore, aren't from the southeast. Yeah. Macklemore is a re golf resort on the edge of Lookout Mountain, just south of Chattanooga, and it's strategically located in this incredible area. It's two hours from Birmingham, it's two hours from Atlanta, two hours from Nashville, and two hours from Knoxville. There's like 14 million people within two hours, and the neat thing about it, it sits at 2,100 feet above sea level. So while it's not a you know a summer oasis like highlands north carolina where the temperatures are really low it actually is probably five to six degrees cooler but it's a different environment and it's it you you are definitely on vacation when you're up on property at macklemore you feel like you have you know you've come to this incredibly diverse rugged beautiful environment the views are incredible and we've got now two golf courses on the edge of a mountain and the original Macklemore, we renovated um, and uh, we renovated an existing course and we built a new 18th hole on the edge of a cliff. And that hole's gotten a lot of attention. And that hole is the reason we're doing a, an entirely new golf course, because that hole has gotten enough attention that people come and see Macklemore. They love it. They come back. Um, we have a hotel under construction and all of that is happening. So the new course that we're building is actually incredible and in your your big question was are my philosophies the same i'd say they've evolved slightly um but i believe in designing for all golfers and i understand that accomplished players play the game in the air but i still believe what happens on the ground is is very important what happens around greens is incredibly important but the lower your swings swing speed, the less spin you part, impart on the golf ball, the more you play the game on the ground. And my summer playing golf on the European tour in 19, 1984 was incredible for understanding what the ground game is like. And then I taught not long after that, I taught for three years at Cherokee in Atlanta. And I realized that most players miss greens. Most players do not spin the ball particularly well. And most players, what happens to the ball on the ground, it just dictates 
all things around the complex and how people are successful. We design very challenging golf courses. I'll just say it. They're not easy, but we give players the ability to make choices and to navigate. And you can always play on the ground. You can, you can, you can work your way around the course on the ground. You can access greens complexes on the ground. Um, I, I really take a lot of pride in that. And so that's at the heart of my philosophy. I would say it's only gotten stronger over the years. Um, but, you know, the knowledge that you have, I look at Topo instantly and I understand it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to wonder what's up, what's down. I don't have to look at percentage of slope. You know, I mean, you know, having done this now for 30 years, you you just, you know, you just have this instant um, relationship with the topography and the ground and, and just that understanding. It's interesting seeing it through the, the eyes of the guys who work for me because they don't have that instantly. And I say, hey, just hang in there. You'll learn and you, you know, it, it will come to you. But it takes time and it's 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 a great process. But the new course at Macklemore is cliff edged, a cliff edged mountain golf course that's as walkable as any course you're going to find. And it's a magical site. Uh, it's, it's just it's just asking for a golf course. And we're we're fortunate enough to be to be under construction there right now. Now, when you're whether it's an original design, uh, so-called original design or a renovation, um, if you want to if, if you want to abide by your principles and promote your principles, especially in terms of the, you know, the ground game again. Um, mm -hmm. How closely do you work or want to work with green superintendents going into this? Because, you know, I've played a lot of courses where supposedly the ground game can be played, but the courses are too wet. I mean, yeah. they're, not, they, they're not kept up the way that the design really would require them to be kept up in order to, you know, you, you, in theory, you can bounce it into the green, but no, you really can't bounce it into the green. Do, so do you try hard to work with green superintendents to let them know what your course is going to need from them? Well, you know that each, each course has different soil conditions, different grass types and, and different conditions in general. So it's not easy to do that everywhere. You, you, like if you work on, on bent grass in Highlands, North Carolina, you get 90 inches of rain a year. You are not bouncing balls up at Wade Hampton or at, at Mountaintop or my courses up there um, because of the thatch layer of the bent grass and, the, and it's just constantly wet. You know, we don't really have that many sandy sites in the United States where you're able to do that. Although I would tell you there is a renaissance for finding those right now. It is amazing how many sandy golf courses are being either rebuilt, discovered, or newly built right now. And that's a, that's a, a great thing because um, people have recognized that that allows you to, to get that type of feel. When I went to Streamsong for the very first time, I stepped foot on the ground. I didn't even need to hit a shot. I stepped foot on the first hole and I said, wow, I haven't felt my feet haven't felt this since I played, you know, in Europe on, on the European tour. Um, and I thought it was really a, a great example of what we're looking for. But you've got to do all kinds of things. You know, agronomically, even taking care of, of a course in Florida is completely different than taking care of Royal Dornock or St. Andrews or, or any of the, those courses. It's just, a, it's just a completely different environment. More difficult to do, I think, um, in the U.S. Than, than people think. 
Yeah. Bill, you know, one thing we will be talking to you about in the coming months is that Golf Week has an annual architectural summit. And this year, we're not still sure what venue it will be, but the theme of the summit this coming year is going to be restoration slash uh, renovation slash restoration. Uh, and, and the issue that we started with that you, you know, you came up with right off the bat was what you do about these courses when you, when, I mean, so let me, let's get into this issue. I mean, how would you define renovation and what are the limits of renovation prior to it really requiring or meriting changing from, from innovation to original design. We were right. talking about Indian Pines and how you're completely rerouting it, and it's going to be a brand new course. But you know, we as golf course raiders, when you know, just putting that hat on for a, a moment, you know, we we encounter a course like let's just say Congressional in the right. Washington D.C. area, which has had so much work on it. But you know, Golf Week has has a bifurcated course approach. Uh, there's classical and there's modern, with 1960 being the division. Now we can. We could debate whether it's time to make some changes in that chronology or not. But Congressional is considered a classic course, but the classic course really doesn't really even exist anymore. And for the purposes of ranking, don't, should, we re, should we reclassify it? It is Congressional become a, a modern course? Um, I mean, the, with Indian Pines, you know, it doesn't predate 1960, but let's, if it did, right. what you're going to do, it's going to, it doesn't make any sense to call it a design from the 1950s anymore because that course doesn't exist. So we're, what, what advice do you have? I mean, you've asked me to answer the, the question, but uh, all I can say without the experience of being an architect is that it seems to me that at some point the course gets changed to such a large degree, whatever the degree in, entails, that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense to call it what it was. It's something new. Well, and then there's the question of, you know, you asked first, there's probably three ways to look at it, but, but renovation versus restoration. Restoration, and, right. And the truth is, as a free thinker with a lot of golf experience and my own um, process, I would prefer to renovate than restore. Okay. Um, Tell us what, what is the difference? Okay. A restoration, in my opinion, you're trying to take a golf course as close as you can to its origins. Okay. And a renovation, you are allowed to probably have a little bit more freedom and a little bit more leeway. Now, let me, let me make that complicated. One of our best projects is Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, which is a Ross. But all of the Ross was gone when I got there. Okay. So I was not working with a masterpiece. I wasn't, um, and I didn't have to have any fear of decision making. And the only information I had was an aerial. Okay. And the interesting thing is, again, we're as architects, what people don't realize is we are charged with a lot of our work by the membership or the committees that make those decisions. And my charge at Chattanooga Golf and Country Club from a gentleman named Joe Richardson, for the people who know who Joe is, he is, he is, you know, he is golfing royalty in the South. Uh, Southern Golf Association, Honors Course. This guy has, he just is, has a very high level IQ when it comes to golf, especially traditional golf. 
And Joe said, hey, we want you to make this a 1920s Ross. Okay, so it wasn't a restoration. It was an inspiration. Um, and I like that aspect personally better because I'm able to think about the land. I'm able to think about the strategy in a way that honors its past, but is not stuck with the past. Now, I'm going to say something that might be controversial. Go right ahead. Donald Ross tweaked Pinehurst all the time. Do you not think if Donald Ross was alive today that he would make adjustments to the golf course? He wouldn't try to restore it to 1920. What he did, he would evolve. He would he would take his principles. He would take his style, but he would make adjustments. Look at Pete Dye. Now, obviously not a classic designer, but look at Pete Dye. He has touched and retouched so many of his own golf courses. It's unbelievable. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And Ross did the same when he had the opportunity to. He made adjustments as well. So the guys who grab an old plan and, first of all, think it was actually built exactly as that plan, right. you just don't know that. Okay? Right. So I think, you know, people call them sympathetic restorations. They call them all kinds of things. Um, but I think honoring the philosophies, the style, and all of that is is my favorite way to go. And I've I've been able to do that on a Tillinghast, on a Rainer, and then on a on a um, um, a Langford. And so, haven't worked on any Mackenzie, but Ross, Tillinghast, Rainer, and Langford is pretty good group. And all of those had been obliterated prior to my work, except for Minnesota Valley, which was a Rainer. Um, that one was was closer to intact, but it has its own question of, of, you know, Rainer really was never on site. And so there's some questions of, of, is it a Rainer, but the club has claimed that from its origin. So uh, who am I to argue that? Bill, I understand and agree with, with really everything that they're saying. So, so take this just as being argumentative. I mean, <laughs> would, wouldn't some, wouldn't some devotees, I mean, members of the Donald Ross society or whatever, wouldn't they say it's one thing to for Ross to go back and tinker with the Ross course or die to tinker with the die course. But when you're hiring someone else and I'm not going to name any, any names, but you know, sometimes you get somebody coming in and supposedly it's a restoration and, 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 well, it, if it's an inspirational restoration, uh, if that's the term you used, you know, then that's I think that sounds great. But isn't part of the problem or the issue that comes up is that people w might come in and and not really be as knowledgeable about the history of, of the courses uh, or the character of the designer and that they're actually putting really their own stamp onto the course more so than really trying to restore restore it or re-inspire the, the design, be it, you know, whatever classic architect that you're talking about. Um, I mean, it, it wouldn't, you have to almost look on a case by case basis, don't you, to decide yeah, I, what have they done with this particular course? I agree with you 100%. I think you're exactly right. And I think it is a case by case basis. And I think that um, the information you have affects that. You know, some, some projects you have very little information and some you have a lot. The, the Tillinghast we did out in Oklahoma is called the Oaks. And I had, I had an aerial. And I had, but I had no great information um, except for the greens plans of the previous renovation before I worked there. The greens plans didn't help me, but the base topo on those greens plans 
where the tilling has contours. Now, they were too steep for today's world, but the idea that went with those greens, we followed on our greens, okay? So we just, you know, um, softened them up a little bit as far as um, pace, you know, uh, pace and slope. But, you know, where the green was moving left or where it was moving right or back to front, we took this, this, this style of that green and we used that as the basis of our of our of our work and so you know because why not why not honor what was there it was gone and so i never got to physically look at it but i did have that information and that was very helpful some in some cases maybe in many cases it it really doesn't make sense to restore it if something was if something was restorable in the sense that you had the the, the knowledge the documents the whatever to know what it really originally looked like i mean but to go back and put Piner's number two's greens as to where they, how they were when Ross had them at what particular, at some particular year. I'm also thinking of McKenzie's course. Have you ever played Crystal Downs in Michigan? Crystal uh, Downs is way up on my list of courses I'd yeah. like to go, especially being, uh, you know, I guess McKenzie and Maxwell yeah. work together there. And I've heard just fantastic things. Well, Mike the, is, is a, an architect that I, I admire and like and personally know. And I'd love to make a trip up there to visit you, him and, and play that golf course. I loved it. I'd love to hear what you think. I played it a couple of, been fortunate mm -hmm. to play it a couple of times. But the the green contouring is so extreme. I mean, it's 1920s contouring, but you put, you have a membership that wants to have them stimping at 11 or 12 or, or faster. You can't keep, you know, the, the putts, the putting is absolutely right. impossible. If they, if you redid the greens, you know, I suppose they'd want them to have them exactly like they were when McKenzie left them, but it almost doesn't make any sense to play that play those right. games anymore. And that's uh, that's a, a great comp, you know, a topic. We we discussed that um, a great deal at the ASGCA annual meeting last year. You know, the difference between contour and, and speed and and the challenges that you that you have with those. And and I know, you know, I don't know Tom Doak personally, but I know enough about him that I think he wishes green speeds were slower. And we. We did design more contour in our greens and you know for example my minnesota valley rainer you know from 1924 um their wheelhouse hole locations are four percent well you're not playing any modern golf courses where your wheelhouse hole locations are four percent because they can never run their greens over ten and a half that's as fast as they can ever get them and if they're at ten and a half you better be a member and know everything about them because it, they're going to be just treacherous and so while we expanded greens, we did a lot of different things. I think I rebuilt maybe four greens and, you know, I, I really ran a bunch between three and 4%, not quite at the, at the pace they were going, but I had to match, you know, make them feel like you you're on the same golf course. And, um, that was an interesting challenge. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a math challenge that, you know, you're combining strategy and math and, and figuring out, you know, how many hole locations can I get and what, you know, where can we go, but they can't run their greens at 12, you know? So when you get on those greens, it's a whole different experience, um, than some of the other clubs, you know, in the area that are, you know, that are more modern. Now, do I think they need to No, I think the course is perfect. It's just, it's, you know, it's delightful. And it's a great putting experience the way it is. So, um, you know, that's, that's the greatest thing about golf is our diversity and variety. You know, you know, we play on all different types of grasses, all different types of conditions, different speeds, um, different, you know, it's just it, it just the diversity never ends. And, and what could be better than that? 
You mentioned something earlier that that goes into restoration, I think, in a in a really critical way, and that is you were talking about sort of the psychology of member of the members of the membership and what you as coming coming in, listening to what the members think they what needs to be done or they want done, and you 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 know, so there's the psychology of the membership at a, a clubs, uh, and then you've got this, the ownership, you know, maybe in some courses, you don't have to deal with the whole membership. You got to just deal with, or a committee of members, you've got to deal with just with the owner, you know, and maybe, is it easier to deal with just an owner? I suppose it depends on what owner you're talking about. Wow. What a stubborn guy this might be. Uh, but I, I, I can, I mean, how many times have you run into a restoration where you really almost knock heads with the membership? Uh, they, you come away cause they, they, you know, they, they've loved their course for X number of years. They've shot in, you know, their career round, they've made a hole in one on this or that hole. And now you come in and you want to, well, that hole's not going to exist anymore. Or we're adding a bunch of bunkers. We're putting a pond next to the 18th green, you know, and all of a sudden it's a course that they, I mean, how often do you run into that particular issue going into the project and the middle of the project and when you're done with the project? So that's a, a great question and one that's appropriate almost on every project, especially with uh, renovations. People love their golf courses and that's a great thing. And we take a lot of pride in the clubs that we belong to. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's family. Okay. And so, you know, you don't talk bad about people's family and, and all of that. So we approach renovations in a certain way. We, we want to solve problems first, any mechanical problems, whether that's irrigation systems past its life expectancy. Drainage is always a big deal. Greens don't last forever. Bunkers washing, things like that. So we start the process making a list of things that we need to fix. Okay. Even if you did them exactly like they are, you still need to fix those problems. And people really understand that very well. Then you get into the subject subjective part, which is here are some options that you have. You do not have to put it back the same way. And it's funny because literally most of the work we do, 85 to 90 percent of the dollars spent would be spent if you did exactly the same golf course as you had before you started. OK, there's only 10 to 15 percent in the wow factor or the change factor. It's really that small. And so then it's like, then it's okay, here are the possibilities. And so um, it's not a hard sell. It's an option here. Here's what you can do. Uh, we do a lot of before and after photos, um, which are compelling and, and people realize, oh, well, there is imagination. There is creativity. There are things here. And I tell the people, you know, this, you have this chance to do that. I have a job in South Florida right now, which I think, the people love 17 of the holes um, for our, on our master plan. We haven't, we haven't started yet. We finished a master plan, but we haven't built anything. And I think they love 17 of the holes because I'm not changing things very much, but the 18th hole, I'm changing the angle and green location, opening up tremendous opportunity for clubhouse and practice facilities, but actually using a, an existing lake in a, in a heroic way that's incredibly playable, but it's beyond people's imagination. And, and you, you deal with that as far as they just don't see this happening. It makes them nervous. And that's where your track record of, okay, we've done this here. We've done this on this project. Here are some before and afters in, in you know, th there are pretty, you know, 
some of them are very stunning and you just people like you can't can't believe that's what you started with and that's what you finished with and you have to gain confidence but not in a pushy way just like here's an opportunity um i think you guys will really really like this um we can do animation uh, one of my assistants can do that now that's helpful but it's still not real um and so um you know it's there is a point where where the clubs basically trust you because they know your work background and other projects you've worked on um, so it's you, you do have to gain trust um but that's the process that's how we go about it um, yeah. again the mechanical okay. first and then the the the, the uh the creative ideas and, and we get a lot of pushback. We just finished a job at Highlands Falls um, and I, the 10th hole was a nice hole, but it had um, a partially hidden lake on one side and the cart path ran between the green and the lake. And I never want to run a cart path between a hazard and a playing area. If I can help it, you can't always help it. Okay. But if I can help it. And, and one of the things I wanted to push the green to the lake expose the lake and run the cart path down the other side and oh my gosh you thought the the world had come to an end well the club just gave me a painting of that hole um because it's so improved and um Excellent. you know and, and so those kind of things you know help um, bob cup redid the 13th at atlanta country club and if you know the 13th hole it's a little par three down a hill with a waterfall and that hole was a sand wedge shot when I was a kid growing up catting out there uh, to a green with too much slope and nothing else. Just it, it, it just really wasn't much of a hole. And Bob redid it, I think, for Jack, for Nicholas in a, in a renovation. And it was a war to get that hole approved. And that hole became the the um, the poster hole for the National Golf Foundation and like the PGA. It was incredible. The difference but i remember him going through that that battle of we want to do this to the hole and the results were magnificent but um it is hard to convey that and it's it's hard for for people to have vision um and so an architect's job is to is to relate that vision or or to explain it and try to convey it in a way that people um understand and so, so you mean you've talked a lot about communication I mean, you've got to be a real communicator, a communicator with the club or the ownership or, you know, and everybody else involved. Uh, I'd hate to imagine. I can't imagine a good architect or an effective architect being someone who's, who's not able to verbalize ideas and make some compromises and be diplomatic about that and be persuasive. You're going to have to be persuasive. No doubt. Yeah. Um, back to, to the to some issues related to restoration again it's in your own career looking at at it I have looked closely at it. I played a number of your courses actually and I'm not only is Indian Pines something that I played for years and years and when I was at Auburn but I'm a member at Hoover Country Club in Birmingham yeah. which is which uh, so you might even now be able to understand a, few, a couple of the questions that I've asked you yeah. about uh, memberships but um, um, most of your it seems like the lion's share of your work is in renovation is it's in renovation work is that really a function of the marketplace right at the moment or maybe over the last 20 30 years and i mean there aren't as you know a great number of new courses being built so is it just that there's a lot more business for you in the renovation field or is it something that you actually would prefer to do than working with an untouched property that is new to develop 
Yeah, so I like projects of all kinds. So I'm not, you know, I like them all. They all, you know, it's funny with a new course, you have a relationship with an owner. With a renovation, you have a relationship with a membership. And there's a lot of rewarding, there's a lot of pride that goes into that. So I, I like both very well. Um, you know, I would say that my career hit, hit its stride when no new golf courses were being built. And so it was a renovation world, you know, yeah. from literally from certainly from 2009 until just the last couple of years, you know, most of the work was was renovation work. Um, prior to that, we did some original designs, um, certainly in Tennessee. Tennessee is probably a market where we've done, you know, the most work of any state. And um, we're working on, I mean, it four or five different projects in that state right now. And so it's, it's a, it's a good spot for us, but it's funny that right now we, we have, I have another project exactly like Indian Pines for the city of Memphis, where I'm putting a brand new golf course on Audubon on the Audubon. Course. I saw that. I saw and that. it's exactly the same reroute. Everything's new. Uh, clubhouse is moving. They didn't have a driving range. Now we're having a driving range. We're adding a six hole short course for kids great short game area it will be excellent for the university of memphis which is right next door um so an incredibly brand new golf course on an existing course so i am going to call that one an original design too because we rerouted the whole thing and nothing's nothing's going to be there um that was there so it's 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 all new um but again i i love the renovation work you may have seen our work down at santa rosa beach which is um a personal Florida. a personal favorite and, and it's funny um when you look at sites, we're working on a, a rocky mountainous site at Cullisage up in North Carolina in Highlands and in the Macklemore second course. But we worked, you know, on a, on a, on a sandy site down at Santa Rosa where nobody knew it was sandy. Um, but everywhere you stuck a blade into the ground, you hit white beach sand and we took the beach. We knew this in, 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 in our planning that we were going to take the dunes along the beach down in that Destin, you know, um, panhandle area and take it through the whole golf course and we're able to do that so you get this beach feel opened it up turned it white and um literally uh almost unrecognizable when the superintendent was giving tours to the members and we did not reroute so it's exactly the same routing but the superintendent was giving tours while we were under construction at one point with existing members at one point they're out there and people were like what hole is this <laughs> and we hadn't changed the routing and they didn't know where they were. I mean, that it's that different. It, the, you know, the transformation there is, is really remarkable. Now you've done a couple of courses in Oklahoma and a couple of courses in the upper, upper Midwest. Um, but, but by and large, you've been, you've been focused in the Northeast. I mean, you, you grew up in Georgia, right? And you went to yes. school at Auburn, you played at Auburn. Um, I see absolutely nothing wrong. There's plenty of opportunities and pl pl plenty of great golf in the Southeast is, but is that something that you plan to continue? Uh, or are you looking at projects wherever they might come up? So I do look at projects wherever they come up, but it's funny, you know, one project leads to the next project. It is that kind of networking that that gets us work. And and so um, literally we go, we go where where the projects are for us and that's mostly in the southeast. And yes, we've done we've done two in Oklahoma, we've done one in Indiana, one in Minnesota. Right now we have one up the eastern seaboard in um, in Richmond, but we haven't started construction on it. So it's literally that's your 
best calling card is the work you've done. And so, um, you know, we are mostly regional, but we're willing to go anywhere, but it, it's the Southeast is, is home. And, um, you know, we travel in a, in an RV, um, a small RV, and we sometimes sleep in the parking lot. So the clubs we're working on wake up the next morning, ready to go right on site. Um, and so, um, but we get on airplanes for other projects too. So it, it, it's quite a, a variety. Um, we're kind of work wherever, wherever the work takes us, we're, re we're ready to go. The, the RV is not for your family. It's for your crew, correct? I mean, purely, uh, tell, tell us about your family. I mean, yeah. I want to hear, hear about your family too. Well, I'll start, start with the RV. So, and, and a little bit of family. So my son, Matt has worked for me now for seven years. And so I think it was his idea, quite honestly, that we were traveling every single day. And we did this one trip where we drove 2000 miles in five days and probably visited seven of our projects. And, and it was just kind of one of those trips where you just go, OK, something has to we have to do something different and, and differently. And so we ended up buying, you know, we ended up buying an RV. Literally, I had a good friend who who thought of, he said, you need an airplane. And I'm like, I don't need an airplane because there's too many things that happen and weather and you still have yeah. to get to the sites and all of that. Yeah. And with this RV, we realized that what we were after was an office, a mobile office. So when it's on the road and has Bergen Golf Designs on the back, if you see it going down the highway, somebody's working, usually me in the back and I'm drawing grading plans. I'm drawing greens plans. I'm sending, sending, you know, plans to people. I'm doing site visit notes, all the things that go with the project we're doing while we're on the road. And then it also allows us, you know, again, um, to have everything we need from grade rods to, to, you know, to yeah. boots, to flags, to paint, to all the things we need. That's with us all the time. So it's, it's a fantastic tool. It's really allowed us to increase our productivity. And then we are a small company of four. Um, we have a golf course superintendent full time, which is, um, you know, in the last year. And his role is project management, but also grow ins, um, irrigation, um, helping superintendents get to the finish line and to understand all the things that it takes to do that. And then um, we we have Matt and and another another young man who do our plan production, uh, cut and fill plans, drainage plans, renderings, all of that. And then my wife runs the business and keeps us all in line and, and pays everybody. So um, that's that's very important. So um, but uh, so it's a family business, uh, and and uh, we're we're very lucky to work together. My son and I both appreciate the fact that hey, we get to do this each day, and and we do it mostly together. Well, are you shooting your age yet? You know, I unfortunately play about six rounds a year, and so I am not old enough to shoot my age yet. So, um, well, six—you're not sixty-six yet. I mean, you've no, no. So, um, <laughs> it's funny. Um, literally, I play three rounds a year at the ASGCA annual meeting, and then otherwise, it is few and far between because um, I like working a lot, and so I choose that over over playing. And um, I don't miss any shots in my head and, uh, <laughs> and I do physically. So it's uh, it's funny. I um, we just had a I had a lunch meeting with one of my guys today and he, we were talking about business and, and about our company. And he said, we need to have a quarterly golf outing with the four of us. 
And, um, and I said, you are exactly right. And it's funny because I really recommend clubs have make their golf course superintendent play once a month at a minimum um, with all different players because it's different to play your golf courses than it is just to work on them. Yeah. And you learn something every time. And so um, I absolutely should – should play more golf um, on other people's work and on my own work. It, it would be be beneficial. Well, I, I hope to get down to Auburn. I, be, I live in Birmingham now. I'm hoping to get down to Auburn to see the construction, some of the construction uh, on the new Indian Pines course. But I definitely want to be there to play one of the early rounds because uh, I, I want to be have that experience you were describing down in Florida where you get, you're out on a course that you know very well, but you don't know where you're at exactly anymore. You know, it's changed so much. Uh, and so and what amazes me, and I'll, I'll end with this because I got to go back to Indian Pines again and, and we'll let you go. Um, uh, you know, my only hole in one in my life was on number five. And of course, it's not going to exist like as a par three anymore. I think it, maybe the hole runs the other direction. In fact, I think you just need to <laughs> knock a three wood in the cup for an albatross and, and okay. you, you will be like, OK, this is this works just yeah. fine. Yeah. And, and the new I'm number sorry. five is a par three. Oh, so is it? Okay. It's, per it's perpendicular to the old one. So it goes okay. up the hill through the trees. Where oh, okay. So if you come off of that old fifth green and look uphill yeah. um, and paralleling University Road. Oh, uh, my gosh. It, it runs up the hill through those trees. Um, and so it's it, it you will you will have an interesting experience playing Indian Pines because you will have familiarity but it's yeah. it just won't be <laughs> like a twilight the, zone experience right you and, know what's um, funny what's funny is that you know i i what astounds me about and i've looked at your routing very carefully a number of times now right. the, on 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 the, on the layout but you know the, the course that you're changing after the get, getting losing some of the property and making some changes it was playing to about 6400 par mm. 70 and how mm. you're getting 7000 yards par 72 out of that i mean I, are you are you reconfiguring the big lake that's in the in the so middle of the property i mean we actually so we we took the lake it's the irrigation lake and you know other than the third hole it third hole and eighth hole so both those par threes had a little bit of impact by the lake yeah but not as much as you would think and oh so i hit you know, i hit millions of balls into the lake on three <laughs> uh, you, you know there it looked like so we drained the lake and you cannot believe the thousands and oh thousands. yes i can. oh yes i can <laughs> it, it looked like it snowed you know so we drained the lake and it's the lake is all white. I, you've never seen so many golf balls as as what was there. But now we have holes one, two, three, and nine all play on the lake, and so there's it's a much bigger presence at this point. That's and great. So that's that's a big factor. And then we cleared twenty acres. So think about yeah. that. What yeah. is that? That's four four golf holes worth of clearing. A lot of the clearing was to the to the. Uh, the, the road that comes into the course the to the right of uh, along the old eighth hole and i mean and to yep, the left of the eighth. so that's new number uh, one and yeah. that's that's a that's really the only on the routing that was my most challenging spot was to get out of that get out of that area and that hole is yeah. finally cleared oh it's all cleared and it's a you know it's a mid-length you know par four kind of a gentle opening hole um, at this point, but, but you can duck hook it into the water, can't you? You can, 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely hit it in the lake. And, um, and so, and we left enough trees along the road that you won't be hitting cars on the road. So that was also a, a, a factor. And, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, we've used every inch of the property. And so, but we had 150 acres to work with. And so. I've been telling people up here in Birmingham, especially the Auburn grads that are up here, there's a lot of them, as you know, that Indian Pines could turn into, you know, maybe the best municipal golf course in the entire state of Alabama when you're done with it. It's going to be a blast. It, yeah. it really is going to be a blast. Very user-friendly, much great fun. I think we have, oh, about 30 bunkers. So, you know, as an architect, that's been a nice challenge. In fact, I've really enjoyed the two public golf courses that are pure public golf courses that I'm doing right now. Because I actually feel like I've had to be more thoughtful in my greens complexes because of the lack of bunkering versus yeah. versus using bunkers, you know, artistically and strategically um, to not have them at your disposal makes you think about what happens again on the ground around the green. And I think it's it's really created some um, very interesting complexes. And, and we believe not in, in necessarily big greens, but big green complexes and interesting things happening in different elevations around the greens. And so we've really accomplished that, but time will tell we're, we're, you know, we're just kind of barely getting started in, in construction. Well, I'll be staying in touch with you, Bill. And thank you so much for, for doing this. I know you've, uh, you're, you're suffering from a little bit of a cold. I hope it doesn't get any worse. Um, I will uh, definitely be down to see you uh, at Indian Pines at some point in the next several months. And I, I do seriously intend to get back to you about this architectural summit that we're going to be having in November that's going to focus on the restoration issues. And I mean, of course, we're going to connect them to the ratings problems, <laughs> the right. ratings, you know, that we have to try to them but but uh you i can't think of anyone that's done greater restoration work uh than you have in the country so i really admire your work and thank you for everything you've ever done for me and uh, i'll be back in touch jim it's it's my pleasure and literally um give us another month or so and i would welcome the chance to walk you around indian pines and and you will i think you'll really enjoy it especially if it dries out a little bit it's it's yeah. a it's a slog at the moment uh, you get taller with each step, so you know, that's not bad either. But um, but I look forward to touring you around, especially because you know the course intimately, and that's always fun. Yeah. Um, I once I once had a putt on the 18th hole that I lipped out. If I'd made it, I would have shot 29 on the back nine. It's ah, I, nice. when I when I was over the putt, I I told the group I actually backed off the putt, told the group I'm I, I'll never have another putt in my life <laughs> for a 29, and and that was that's very much come true. But I uh, shot 30, 37, 29, uh, 37, 30. It would have awesome. been 37, 29. My that's best round great. ever. So that's anyway, great. thank you so much. And then thanks to the audience for listening in to our Golf Week podcast for this thanks, week. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Thank you.